We're all about turning a crappy situation into something wow. positive. A quarter million dollars of credit card I debt. I still remember the day when no one turned up. Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. <laughs> our sponsor for this episode is our 14-day video script challenge. Yes, we are sponsoring our own show. Yes, we are. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm Daniel Harmon, Chief Creative Officer at Harmon Brothers and your host. My guest today is Charlie Tyrell. Welcome, Hello. Charlie. Charlie is a filmmaker. We're at the Sundance Film Festival because Charlie has a film here that is, um, well, it's been accepted into the festival. I don't know if it's debuting. Is it making its debut here sort of thing? This is its third festival. This is its third we, festival. We did Philly okay. and Doc NYC, and now we're here. Okay, yeah. cool. Very cool. Congratulations. So, third festival, which is awesome. Um, it's it's very cool. So, the, the title is Broken Orchestra, and it's, it's a documentary film done in a very inventive way. So, let's go ahead and jump into that a little bit. Like, if you can give our viewers some background on the story of what this is about, and then basically how you came to how you came to decide this is something I want to make a film about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I came to the story kind of uneventfully. Normally it's nice to either live something like I did with my previous film or hear about it from a friend, but I just read about Symphony for a Broken Orchestra in the paper. And at the time, the I believe the concert had just happened. Um, so what it was was, you know, funding in... Philadelphia for the arts programs, you know, from music to dance to, you know, visual arts has been so dramatically slashed over the years that a byproduct of that is instruments that normally would have had money to be repaired or be replaced weren't. So instruments are ending up in closets or basements. Students are making do with broken instruments or, you know, the worst case scenario which did happen is um, there's, you know, shortage of music classes in general or students are being discouraged from taking music classes. Yeah. So from there, uh, quite a few people got together and you know recognized the problem, one of them being Robert Blackson, the subject in the film, and kind of you know paved the way to consolidate all the instruments. So there was about, I believe, 1,500 you know, instruments in need of repair across the public school district in Philadelphia, uh, and decided let's kind of challenge this problem in a creative way. Let's, you know, try and create an art piece out of this that makes people more aware of the problem. So okay. what that solution was, was taking 400, of 400 broken instruments and 400 local Philadelphians, ranging from ages eight to 80, to play this performance, play this, play this musical piece that's about 40 minutes long and, you know, try and do that to, you know, yes, attract donations to yeah. get the problem fixed, but also to bring the community together and make everyone aware of, you know, what's going on. Yeah. The concert was successful, the donations came in, and um, the instruments have now all either been repaired or the ones that were so far beyond repair have been replaced, and they've been recirculated in the school system with money to fix them, you know, perpetually Ongoing. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, so I heard about that story, and it completely blew me away. I reached out to Robert um, and he connected me, it was either him or someone they connected me with sent me an early mix of the piece, of the music, which is composed by David Lane. Okay. And 
It starts out like how you'd expect. It's a bunch of rattling broken instruments turned into percussive pieces, you know, yeah. shaking and, you yeah. know, just a big kind of noisy sound. But as it goes on, the sound kind of begins to harmonize and it gets big and it swells. And uh, I, I'm already a huge enough music fan, um, especially symphonic music, but this, you know, when you find a piece of music that can actually go inside you and have an effect on you like that, I, I mean, those are so rare that, um, you know, I, I knew if, if the music was terrible, I still probably would have wanted to make the film, but oh, wow. th this helped make it, you know, even more impactful and meaningful, I think. Yeah, it resonates a lot more emotionally because of that story behind yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, which is fantastic. It's, it's such an inspiring story. One of the things that um, is so interesting to me is rather than people waiting on any kind of policy changes mm -hmm. or any kind of funding to come down, down through it. They just said, let's just go solve a problem. Exactly. And I think that, that portion of it is, is so inspiring. And the way that that pulls a community together mm -hmm. in the way that they did, and, um, and then ultimately the success that came mm -hmm. out of it, for them actually reaching the goal of being able to go back and either refurbish or fix these instruments or whatever yep. it is, it's just, it's an awesome story. Yeah, I mean, I love creative solutions to problems, right? And this is an amplified and perfect example of that and one that comes with a bit more more meaning than just, you know, oh, I, I fixed my broken door by building one out of cardboard or something. This is something that actually has, something that has more impact than, sure. than that. So, once you discovered the story and decided, okay, I'm gonna make a film about this, how long did it take to, how long did it take to make this film from, you know, conception to, to where you had the final cut? I mean, from when I, I consider when it all started was when I started talking to Rob, which was January, 2018. Okay. And then, you know, the back and forth took a while. Yeah. Uh, I had other things going on in my life at the time that, you know, I had to wait out. Yeah. But from from probably when we were kind of greenlit and you know the budget was there to when we were done and the edit was complete was about six months. Okay. And and yeah, I, I we worked with Topic on this and they were great that they gave us this this creative flexibility that I'm so fortunate for where we just had to kind of say, this is what the story is. Yep. We don't know how we're going to do it yet, yeah. but like. Can we can we do this? And they they just said yes. And because the visuals for the story uncovered as as we went into it, yeah, it's all set in walking through an empty school, and the TVs are playing back, you know, the interviews that we got down in Philadelphia, and that wasn't something that was in the plan from from the beginning. That was that came out of being in Philly, doing some of these interviews in schools. For me, it had been over a decade since I'd been in a high school, and realizing that if we place it there, then that might help people empathize with, with the story because yeah. they'll, they'll begin to remember their own experiences. Because it's, it's easy to forget how impactful a good teacher or a good classroom was on, on your life. And, and, and if we could put it there, then that might help people relate to what, we were, what the story was about. Yeah, that's really good. And that, just to kind of catch our audience up to, up to speed, the style that this story is told in is kind of a continuous walking shot, like you said, through the hallways of a high school, um, empty hallways, yep. but then ultimately there's stands up with um, TVs, like the TVs you'd see pulled into your science class or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and those, um, those are playing essentially the interviews that you captured 
of the individuals that were involved in this event of bringing this whole thing together and that are retelling the story. And this is kind of happening just continuously free-flowing. You almost have to see it to be able to appreciate the way Charlie captured the storytelling, which I think is is pretty genius. Like you said, it makes it much more, it gives people a little bit more empathy yeah. of being in that circumstance. And it, that's not to say that it was you know, completely pulled out of our brains. Part of it was because of logistics. Yeah. A, we the story had already happened by the time we came into it. So. Yeah, you, you couldn't capture, you couldn't document yeah. anything other than after the fact. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't have footage of the performance. Uh, footage was available and... No one had, no one had actually... People filmed it and, and, and uh, some of the videographers did, did allow us to use some, some of the footage in our installation piece that Jesse Yules made in, in the gymnasium at one point in the film. But, you know, for me, I like to kind of have a bit of a handle on how things are shot and it, it, it was kind of... It was it was a little bit. It wasn't something that I was super interested in doing, and you know, putting someone else's footage in the middle of of the film that we did. So it, that was an interesting creative challenge. The other element was, we filmed all these interviews down in Philadelphia, but I'm based in Toronto, and so was the rest of the production. So we just went down there, captured the footage that we had, and then brought it back up north, and knew okay, we we need to figure out something to do with these interviews here. So we rented out a school that, you know, from a city just outside of uh, Toronto, and then we we were able to get it all there. So it wasn't it wasn't all just you know flexing creative muscles. Uh, quite a bit of it was you know restrictions and logistical limitations. Why should our audience be interested? I'm asking you to toot your own horn, but why should our audience be interested in your film? What what makes it um, different from? films that we've seen in the past. I mean, I've seen it, I know what it does, but I'd love to hear you describe that. Sure, uh, I'll appreciate anyone that, you know, enjoys the, the creative or technical aspects that we were able to apply to the film. But for me, the, the story really does the heavy lifting. Uh, the people do the heavy lifting, our subjects. 100%. And, and for me, you know, the film was, we kind of said from the beginning, let's make a film that people who are against arts education should watch. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm I'm a filmmaker. A lot of my friends are also filmmakers. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a pretty open-minded guy, but it's kind of hard to find friends from the opposite side of the fence because yeah, you yeah. you aren't going to be in the same spaces twice. Right. But I would absolutely encourage and welcome a conversation that you know anyone who disagrees with what Symphony for Broken Orchestra was all about um, could have to say. I did a, a lot of phone calls with everyone, and just the way that everyone talked about this night. And some of these people I'm talking to are lawyers. Some of them are, you know, not really in the most creative fields. Some that's not to say that they aren't creative people, but people cried on the phone. People oh, broke yeah. down. You could tell that this night had a significant meaning to to everyone involved. Yeah. And you know, apart from the envy that I felt of not being able to be there, I knew, you know, we can probably illustrate what happened that night just through people talking and, and through something else and through a different medium rather than just showing here's footage of people playing yeah um, because the night was more than that the night was more than just any one player in their instrument yeah absolutely it's a really kind of engrossing experience uh, it really kind of pulls you into it where if we were just to see these people if we were just to cut from one interview to the next and not have that um, visual storytelling visual storytelling element be part of it 
I don't, I don't think it would have impacted me the same way. And one of the big choices I loved the most of it was in kind of a little bit of the climax of the film where, um, I forget the name of the guy was talking about it, but basically he's explaining oh, Rob? the impact that it had had when um, one of the kids realizes, oh, my instrument was actually saved or provided to me by this, by this initiative, you know, by this, um, by this concert that was put on. Um, like that was so impactful to him that when all, all the students started realizing, oh, I'm able to play because of this. Um, like he gets pretty emotional in it, but you take the time to go in close on one, one TV set at that point and then let that kind of take over. Yeah, so yeah, we cut, we cut, we cut from the TV on the AV cart to the actual footage. And yeah, I mean, there's no cuts in that segment of Rob's interview. Uh, there, there's some jump cuts in the interviews that we hide with, you know, TV static yeah, and, yep, and stuff. Uh, but with that, it was kind of like, we don't need to cut. And I know that this clip is running on kind of long. It doesn't seem long winded, but every single word he says felt so, I couldn't cut away from any yeah, of it. Yeah, it was so, the story. So it was, yeah, it bottled, bottled up the whole thing in that one clip. Um, and the reason why we do jump from, okay, this, this kind of weird fantasy world of an empty high school to just his interview clip was, you know, the TVs are, are a little distracting. The movement's a little distracting. You know, yeah. we're, there's a lot going on in, in the piece yeah. and, and it's kind of one of those things where, you know, if, if you're missing any parts of the story, you know, you might have to watch it again. But with yeah. that, it was like, we need to get rid of all, of all the, the bells and whistles, mm -hmm. all the bells and whistles, all the distractions, and just go right to Rob. And, you know, he's owed that moment. And also just, just to kind of almost bring him into the room with you. Yep. When we were conducting that interview, I mean, I'm pretty sure I had to cut after that. Uh, and I, myself, Julie, the producer, Joseph, the, the co-writer, and Chet, the cinematographer, I'm pretty sure we all cut and we all just went, hey, Rob, we're sorry. And he was fine. He, he was cool as a cucumber, but we were all just like, whew, like something special just happened there. Yeah. And um, I still get emotional when I watch that scene. I got very emotional when we were doing the interview and uh, it, it, it's personally my favorite scene in, in the piece uh, yeah. just because, you know, I, I think that he's a very, a, a good representation of who people should strive to be more. And, yeah. and I'm not trying to put him up too high on, on any kind of pedestal, but to, for a person to so selflessly you know, and and to have this empathy for, you know, everything that's going on around him. We're, we're in in a city where, well, any city, any part of the world, it's easy to just focus on your own problems. I mean, what he and everyone else involved were able to do is something that um, I hope I'll be able to have a similar kind of impact in my life and, yeah. and make sure that, you know, I can put my time to things that are a bit better than just trying to make a dollar. <laughs> sure, good to make a dollar, but you always want it to ultimately make a bigger impact. And that's one of the things that fits so well about Broken Orchestra, this short film that you've created. It, it fits very much into our why as Harmon Brothers, which is to share better stories. And so we want to make, you know, stories that are going to make the world a better place. And I just love the initiative that people took there in Philadelphia to just go out and solve that problem mm -hmm. and um, do it in a really creative way and then essentially you, you your film has become almost a reflection of that creativity right 
that that was the challenge that they did this amazing thing and how do we take a problem that was turned into an art piece and how do we take all that and turn into a film in, into another without it with yeah. without it being you know I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, in a way that matches what, what they were able to do and I'm not it's not really my place to say if we did that or not that's up to them that's yeah. up to viewers uh, I know that we tried our best but you know it, it it's something really awesome that they did so we we were fully committed to our subjects and, and making and, and to the story uh, I, I am happy to say that Symphony for a Broken Orchestra, which is the name of the project, is expanding nationwide. Oh, good. I just spoke to Rob this morning. It's like an um, official organization and everything. Yeah, I, they, okay. they, I, I don't know enough of the details because everything's underway right now, but some people that were involved with, with the performance itself, including Devin Greenwood, who's in the film, are, are kind of taking charge to put it into, into other cities because other cities are reaching out, and, and this is a problem in, you know, many many places so it'll be interesting interesting to see what what happens with it and um i'm sure it will be just fine and continue that's awesome that's that's fantastic so about six months long for you to do this project like you meant like you mentioned um the podcast is called from poop to gold we usually focus more on the story of when you've had a crappy situation turn it into something positive um i wonder if you have one of those within this project of like um, Keith, our, our producer, he, he loves the book Still Like an Artist, and in, in there it talks about the dark night of the soul, like essentially a moment where you're going through the project when things get really tough, they're really crappy, and then you're able to you know, overcome that in order to, to finish out. Does anything come to mind with this, with this short film as you were creating it? I mean, the, the interviews, there are two parts of this production, well, three technically. Um, one was the interviews in Philly, yep. which were honestly a breeze. Everyone was so great. Everyone was on time. Everyone was very accommodating of us. Uh, the second part was the stop motion, um, where I worked with an, anim an animator that I've worked with many times, Martha Grant, and that involved us smashing up a bunch of instruments in, in, in a studio. And there's very small moments in the film where we have the stop motion animation, but um, that was fun. And then part three was the, the shoot and the filming the scenes in the school, in, yeah. in an empty school on a weekend. And that was absolutely crazy. That was something I'd never want to do again. I feel like it was all dark. <laughs> I feel like it was all kind of panicking. Are we going to, you know, get our day? Are we going to make all these scenes? Just stress. Y yeah, the school had so many stairs and then we had to move those TVs on AV carts between floors because there was no elevator so I mean everyone got really strong that weekend but, <laughs> but sore. you know it's been a long time since I've, I've I, I don't encourage people to to do those real grind film productions I think it is something that can and should be a bit more comfortable than you know long 16 hour days where everyone's worn out at the end of the day I, I don't advocate that anymore but you know, the situation kind of got larger than than we kind of expected it to. So we, you know, no one jumped ship. We just had to kind of power through and, and get it done. And as far as, you know, something going dark and turning into something that we were able to find a creative solution in, nothing's specifically coming to mind, but I will say that we only had eight televisions 
in AAV cards. I thought we'd be able to find more. It turns out they're impossible to find. I spent two months on Craigslist and just had bunch a bunch of TVs as I could get them filling up my apartment. And I mean, we, we planned out as best we could, but we planned out on a paper map of the school. So a lot of the stuff and a lot of the scenes and a lot of the way that the scenes and movements carried out, we came up with on the fly. On the and, fly and, yeah. and a lot of that's owed to Chet Tillicani, the, the cinematographer, and Alan Kelly, the Steadicam operator, and, and everyone else involved, including Carlin and Dominica, the art team. Um, you know, it, it, it was this kind of really, like I say, tough shoot weekend, but everyone contributed something uh, to, to the film and, and to, the, um, to, to what we were able to capture, the way that we decided to set up TVs, the way that we decided to put things in the background to relate to what the interview subjects were talking about. It, it was a truly uh, collaborative and unified unit. Um, awesome. A team of filmmakers. I believe there's about 25 of us on set and no one was silent. No one was just doing a grunt job. Everyone everyone had something to contribute and that that's the way I like to work. That's awesome, especially when everyone just dives in together Yeah. to yeah. just make it happen. I mean, Once I'm you're faced with the challenge. I'm kind of speaking for some people. I'm sure everyone wasn't happy, um, uh -huh. but... Uh, but got but, through but, it. Yeah, yeah. Powered through. Yeah. That's the important thing. I've been on those kinds of sets where you're doing those long hours, but as long as everyone has the attitude of like, we've got to get the shot, let's find a way to make it happen. Yeah. Then you can get through a lot of stuff. And, and it, honestly, you all come out closer. Yeah. Afterwards, you come out. Well, ideally, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> Hopefully. You know, not always, but <laughs> it's great when it does. When yeah, it, it is great when that happens. Okay, so for someone... If, uh, for someone wanting to get into film. Don't. <laughs> okay, there you have it. The words of Charlie. No, no. Do uh, not go into film under any circumstances. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, for, for anyone wanting to get into film, I mean... What would you say? First first steps, what are, what are some of the things that you know now that you wish you would have known maybe 10 years ago or whatever it is? I don't know how old you well, are, but... Uh, I'm 32. Okay. Uh, one of the big things for me, because, I mean, this is my third real um, kind of festival film, film that's got into festivals. And before that, for whatever reason, um, I used to always kind of think of other filmmakers as competition. Okay. You know, there's only so many seats at the table and I need one of them, so, you know, screw that if, person. If, if, I'm, I, yeah. if I'm gonna get in, that means someone has to get booted out. Ex exactly, okay. so so that attitude was, is not a good way to carry yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's a waste of, your own time and, and you're going to end up, you know, this cynical, angry person because you're always competing for somebody else and rejections inevitable. Like, yeah, um, rejections it, inevitable. It, it, it's going to happen. And thankfully, be, uh, in 2015, it's a zero sum game, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. And, and fortunately, you know, when, when you, when you get to festivals, when you get to Sundances and you get to other places, no one's really like that. No, everyone is ready to talk and collaborate and work together. One of the first people that I, other filmmakers I really became friends at, friends with was at South by Southwest 2015, Josh Pallon, who is an amazing filmmaker. And we've, we've ended up collaborating on a few projects. And, you know, it's important, again, to not think about these people as competitors, but as allies. You know, if, if you're in their city, they'll show up to your screening. And likewise, I'll show up to theirs if they're in my city. And I've had filmmaker friends crash on my couch because accommodation's expensive, especially during festival yep. week. Yep. And people put me up on their couches and, you know, it, sharing edits, sharing scripts. Uh, what better kind of pool of people to 
you know, hive mind from than your, your contemporaries. So don't waste your time thinking like it's a race and there's only one finisher because everyone can make different films and, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a busy field and there's a lot of talent, but there's always room for another good one, so. Yeah, there's more than enough work for everyone. Yeah. More than enough opportunity for everyone as well, right? Mm, exactly. Especially well, with the way the industry's evolving, yeah, right? Opportunity's not really there for, for everyone, but luckily we're kind of, I feel like we're entering an era where, you know, there is a bit more of a, an awareness there and underrepresented voices are beginning to have more of a platform than they did say. Yeah, you know. and what I mean by opportunity isn't like, not everybody, there's not director jobs mm -hmm. for everybody, but there's opportunities to be created yes. to get to your next step always I th is what kind of what yeah. I feel like. You feel yeah. like, it, like you're gonna place more limits on yourself than any, any, anything around you is going to place on you, if that exactly. makes sense. Exactly, yeah. yeah, and it's just, you know, do your own thing. Like, don't worry about, you know, don't get, it's easy to say, you know, to instruct someone how to feel, but you know, other people are going to seem like they're exceeding and seem like they're they're doing things way beyond what you can do. But everyone has a different timeline to their life, and it's it's fine whatever one you end up with. So yeah, the pressure is only going to make it worse. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Charlie, for taking the time. Thank you for um, having me to do this interview. Really inspiring stuff. And thank you all for watching. Be sure to visit HarmanBrothers.com if you want to learn more about us and what we do. Also, you can check out our book, From Poop to Gold. But anyway, thanks again, Charlie. Super, uh, it's been super inspiring to, uh, to watch your film and to hear the story of how it all came about. And thank you again. We'll see you on the next one. We all kind of reach that point where we know we've created something awesome and we want to share it with the world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that very next step that can oftentimes be really intimidating or really scary, or you just don't know where to go next, right? And the beautiful thing about this 14-day script challenge is you get your hand held from, okay, you have this cool product, now let's go research and find the exact way to present it and message it to the world in a way that resonates and gets people excited and they're ready to swipe their credit card and purchase. And in the 14-day script challenge, you get the opportunity to go through that step-by-step with our writers who have done it dozens and dozens of times. Yeah, you actually watch us go through each of the steps ourselves and create it with a real client, a real product, and um, it's a real campaign that's out there that's been very successful. That's right. And the feedback that we've had on this thing has just been phenomenal. I mean, we get comment after comment and emails flowing in from people all over the world who have just uh, raved about the impact that this has had on their business. People tell us over and people tell us over and over again. It is just a huge value punch for the investment for this 14-day script challenge, and and really gave them the tool set they needed to walk through it and make it happen. And we've had um, we've had dozens of students who have successfully taken the challenge, written their script, launched their ad campaigns, and driven success for their business. It's pretty amazing. For more information, go to hbros.co slash script. That's hbros.co slash script.